Now today I want us to continue the series that I believe will give us all the inner strength uh, to thrive in life. I've based it on my study of scriptures over the decades and my own life experience uh, of how I've learned to gain inner strength to, to rise above the inner issues that have oftentimes led me to hurt people, hurt my relationships, and sap my strength. And I call these inner issues core issues. And this is how I've been picturing it. It's like on the surface of our lives, there are surface issues. These surface issues are dysfunctional ways of, of feeling and thinking and acting. And they hurt our relationships. They hurt our spiritual journey. They sap our strength. And, and we don't want them in our lives. But what we've seen is to, to bring true life change in those surface issues, you have to address the core issues, those inner issues that are feeding the surface issues. And so uh, at the first core issue we looked at, uh, the first core issue we looked at was fear. And we, we looked at how to gain inner faith that would help you rise above your fears. And then the second core issue we looked at was unhealed wounds. And we saw how forgiveness is what paves the way for you to find healing from the, the core issue of unhealed wounds. Today, we're going to look at now a third core issue. And this is one that people normally don't see in themselves, but they easily see in others. This is one that the, the more you struggle with this core issue, uh, the, the more you dislike it in others. And the core issue I'm talking about is pride. Pride. And we all wrestle with certain aspects of pride. And, uh, and, and let me just clarify what I mean by pride. I'm not talking about uh, like the kind of pride you feel when you've accomplished something significant and you have that, that healthy sense of pride. That's a great thing. And I'm not talking about a healthy sense of your own personal of value, your worth as a human being. I think that's a healthy sense of pride. I'm talking about the unhealthy sense of pride. I'm talking about an unhealthy self-focus or a unhealthy distorted view of yourself. And pride, uh, pride has basically four different faces. The first face of pride I call self-absorption. That's where our thoughts, words, and actions revolve around us. The second face of pride I call arrogance. That's where we think better of ourselves than what is true. Then there's the other side of that. There's self-depreciation. That's where we think worse about ourselves than what is really true. And then the fourth face of pride is self-reliance, where we seek to live independently of God and others. And we all came out of the womb with a certain sense of a self-orientation, right? I mean, babies come out and they, they cry to get whatever they want and they cry to tell you what they want. And then toddlers, I mean, what do they do? They throw tantrums to get what they want. Teenagers rebel to get what they want. I mean, parents, we don't teach our children how to be selfish. They sort of, in self, you know, focus, they sort of come out of the womb that way. We te teach them to be selfless. And so all I'm trying to say is that we all we all are born with a certain sense of, of self-orientation. But in some of us, pride has become a core issue that must be addressed. And these are some of the signs of unhealthy pride. Do you ever feel good when somebody else fails at something? Do you ever feel jealous when somebody succeeds at something? 
Do you ever find yourself exaggerating about something you've done to make yourself look better than you really are? And do you ever find yourself getting angry at people who are just giving you honest criticism? Do you ever uh, find yourself steering conversations to revolve around you and your interests? Or maybe it's the other kind of pride. Maybe you find yourself talking about yourself in self-depreciating ways, you know, uh, talking down about yourself. Or maybe you you find yourself feeling unworthy or unvaluable. If, if you've struggled with any of those characteristics, and, and I have struggled with some of them, then you likely are struggling with the core issue of pride. And pride ultimately distorts your view of yourself. And, and it can do it, it can either inflate your view of yourself or it can deflate your view of yourself. And if you're wrestling with the core issue of pride, it will come out in decisions, in words, in actions that will hurt others and ultimately hurt yourself. I, I wish I had understood more about pride in me earlier in my life. I mean, I struggled with this sense of arrogance. I thought I could be great at everything. And I live with this kind of self-confidence that caused me to be blinded to some areas in my life where I needed to grow, but I just couldn't see it. And then I also struggled with self-absorption, especially uh, in my relationship with Barbara. In so many years, in the early years of our marriage, when I was you know, becoming a pastor, uh, I just, as I look back on it, I realize how many times I just, I made decisions and you know, decisions that impacted our lives together, but it's like I made decisions about my calling and my pursuits and my ministry, and I sort of left her out of this journey that we were in together, and I know that I hurt her in many ways, and so it, it grieves me still when I think about the ways that my pride led me to hurt my wife. And it's why I'm so committed to helping all of us surface any pride in us and rise above it. And so I want us to do this by looking at one of the greatest heroes in the Christian scriptures. His name is Simon Peter and how he wrestled with pride. And, and can I just acknowledge that if even the greatest hero, one of the greatest heroes in the Christian scriptures struggled with pride, then, then it we're probably going to struggle with pride too, all right? And so I want us to look at some of his interactions with Jesus. And so when Jesus first calls this young man named Simon, he gives him the name Peter. This, it's a nickname, and Peter literally means rock. And Jesus gives Simon this nickname because he can see something in Simon. He can see a rock in Simon. He can see strength in him and courage in him and stability in him. But for Simon to truly become Simon Peter, the rock, he had to face his core issues of pride. And, and we see uh, Simon Peter's pride surface in several scenes that, that we see in the Christian scriptures. And so I want us to look at just a few of them today. The first one occurs a couple of years into their traveling ministry. So Peter has been traveling with Jesus now for a while, been seeing some powerful miracles, and people are beginning to wonder, who is this Jesus? Some thought he might be one of the powerful prophets from the Jewish scriptures who's come back to life. People were wrestling with who he was. And so one day Jesus asked his core disciples, the 12 that he chose, he asked them, who they thought he was. And notice how Simon Peter replies. This is Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And what's so amazing is it appears that Peter is the first one to actually identify Jesus in this way out loud, calling Jesus the Son of God. And it's really a courageous statement to make. And I want you to know that my hope and my prayer is that one day you will profess your faith in Jesus like Peter did. At City Church, we really do believe Jesus is the Son of God. And that as the Son of God, he can forgive our sins, all of them, and he offers us eternal life forever and an abundant life here and now, and that is what it means to thrive. And I hope and pray that you will believe in Jesus too, that he is the son of God and that he loves you. Well, what happens here is when Peter identifies what he sees in Jesus, Jesus responds by, by acknowledging what he sees in Simon Peter. He sees this rock. He says, dude, I'm going to build my church on you and on people like you. But the conversation continues. And then we see something else in Simon Peter. So once, once Peter calls Jesus the son of God, Jesus begins to tell his core disciples about what's getting ready to happen. He tells them that when they go to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested and mistreated by the Jewish leaders, that he was going to be put to death. And then he would ultimately rise again. Notice how Peter responds to this prediction from Jesus. This is Matthew 16, 22. Peter took Jesus aside and he began to reprimand him. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. <laughs> okay, think about what's going on there. Peter has told Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. But think about what he's just done. He pulls Jesus aside. So they're walking along as a group and he pulls Jesus aside like a parent would do when a parent is getting ready to scold a child, right? So he pulls Jesus aside and then he reprimands him. He rebukes him. He confronts Jesus. This, this man, he believes, is the son of God. I mean, who do you reprimand? You might reprimand your child if you're a parent. You might reprimand an employee if you're a boss. You might reprimand your dog, but you don't reprimand someone who is superior to you. Well, what's going on in Peter? Notice how Jesus responds. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind God's concerns, but merely human concerns. Wow. Okay, in just a few moments, he, he goes, Simon goes from being called Peter, a rock, I'm going to build my church on you, to being called Satan. What happened? Peter, according to Jesus, he is focused not on God's concerns, but on his concerns. Peter is not focused on God's purposes. He's focused on his own purposes. He's not focused on God's kingdom. He's focused on his own kingdom. Peter is, is focused on himself and what he can gain from this movement. And here Jesus points out, 
the very deepest core issue that we all have to wrestle with if we're going to shake free from the core issue of pride and, and, you know, the surface issues that are frustrating to us. Because beneath the surface issues, uh, like anger and anxiety and arrogance, beneath even the core issues like pride, the deepest core issue is a distorted view of God. And Jesus is showing Peter here, you have a distorted view of God and God's concerns. I mean, do you believe, I want to ask you something, do you believe God could allow suffering in life? Do you believe he's that kind of God? Do you believe he's the kind of God that might actually have a purpose for some suffering in life? Well, Peter did not believe that. And so when Jesus starts talking about his suffering, it just messes with Peter's whole view of God, of the son of God, of this movement, and even of himself. And so he responds in a very uh, arrogant way, reprimanding, think about this, correcting God in the flesh. I mean, that's pretty arrogant, but it gets worse. So I want us to look at a second scene. Now, this, this one occurs months later. In fact, this is early in the evening on the night in which Jesus does get arrested like he had predicted. And uh, so let me set up the scene. In, in their day in Jerusalem, that's the city where they were gathered, uh, people wore sandals, and the streets were really just dusty, uh, dirt trails. And so whenever you arrived at a person, person's home for some kind of gathering, and they were gathering for a very important Jewish meal, a festival called the Passover. And normally when you gathered for a meal like that, uh, if the uh, owner of the property was wealthy enough to have a servant, a servant would wash your feet. That was their custom when you came into a home so you didn't drag dirt through the house. Someone would wash your feet. And if you didn't have a servant to do it, normally one of the early arriving guests would wash their own feet and then they would wash the feet of all of the other guests who arrived. So anyway, a few of Jesus' disciples had gone ahead, prepared the meal, the meal's all ready, and all of the disciples have come in. They're all sitting around getting ready to eat the meal, but nobody has washed anybody's feet. And it's like you get this sense that none of them wanted to flinch. No one wanted to be the first to be the last and to take a low kind of role like washing feet. You have to get the tension that's going on in that gathering. So Jesus stands up and he gets a bowl of water and a towel, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And when he does that, he sets in motion a vision for his followers and his movement that would be the kind of vision that would give all of us the inner strength to rise above our pride. So he begins to wash his disciples' feet. But then he gets to Peter, and notice what happens. He came to Peter, who said to him, Lord... Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said, no, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter replied, okay, then Lord, then not just my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. So what's going on here? I think we see several different aspects of pride in Peter. First, here Peter is defending the, what I call the pecking order. He refuses to let Jesus, whom he calls Lord, do a humble act like serving him by washing his feet because of the implications it has for Peter in his future role in this movement. 
Remember, Peter's getting ready to take a lead role and, and, and to see someone that he believes is the son of God doing some kind of humble and dirty, you know, dirty thing like washing people's feet. He, he just, that didn't fit with him. And hear me on this. People who defend the pecking order, which is what Peter is doing, he's saying, no, that's not, you're not supposed to wash people's feet. Somebody else is supposed to. When people defend the pecking order, whether it's at home or at the workplace or at school, they're likely struggling with pride. The second aspect of pride we see here is, is Peter is unteachable. So Peter doesn't understand what's going on. Jesus senses that. He tells Peter, look, you don't understand. You will understand. And Peter refuses to listen to Jesus. He is unteachable. And instead, he begins to order Jesus around and tell Jesus what to do, whom he calls the Lord. And hear me on this. People who are unteachable, people who don't receive correction or feedback, you know, constructive criticism, they are likely struggling with pride. And then the, the third aspect of pride that we see here is Peter gets to the point where he has to call the shots. When Jesus is, is painting a new kind of picture for him of what it means to be the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, and kneeling and washing people's feet, it messes with Peter's whole view of God and the Son of God and of himself. And so he overreacts by trying to take control of the situation. And he begins to order Jesus and tell Jesus what to do. And when we, uh, what we see here is so significant because when we feel like we have to call the shots and when we feel like things are getting out of control and we try to take control and to control other people, it means we are struggling with pride. And Peter here is clearly struggling with pride. And so he's fighting with Jesus. I mean, picture this. He believes Jesus is the son of God and Lord and he's fighting with Jesus. He's arguing with Jesus. He's telling Jesus what to do. But you know what I think is so beautiful? Jesus still loves Peter. And he knows he's got to get ready. He's got to rise above his pride so he can lead this movement. And so Jesus prepares Simon Peter for a breaking kind of experience. He, he predicts that Simon Peter is going to go through an experience that will break his pride. It's a very humbling experience because sometimes to be useful, you have to be broken. And so whenever I think of the principle of brokenness and broken pride, I, I think back on, on a certain experience I had as a child. Now, when I grew up right here in San Antonio, my grandparents had a ranch in Helotus, about 150 acre ranch. At that time, it was way out in the middle of nowhere. And I loved going to their ranch on certain weekends. And one of the activities that I could do there on the ranch was ride horses whenever we had them. And I remember the very first horse that I tried to ride, my dad had bought a pony and the pony's name was Sugarfoot. And Sugarfoot had gray fur, but had white fur on his hooves, hence the name Sugarfoot. But Sugarfoot's uh, disposition did not really match his name because Sugarfoot was not sweet. He was salty. He was sassy. And he did not like for people to try to saddle him up and ride him. And I remember one time me and my cousin wanted to ride Sugarfoot. And we got him all saddled up, got the bridle on. My cousin got on his back. And as soon as he got on Sugarfoot, 
Sugarfoot took off full blast running as hard as he could and he ran him under some low-lying oak tree branches and knocked my cousin off of him. <laughs> he hit the ground and it was so awesome. He was okay. But here, here's what happened. Time and time again, we tried to ride and to, to break Sugarfoot and he would never be broken. And eventually my family gave up on Sugarfoot and we sent him away. And what's so sad is that, that that spirited pony was so much potential and so much power was never useful because he was never broken. Never broken, never useful. And just like Sugarfoot, Peter had a lot of strength. He had a lot of potential, but he would not be useful if he was not broken. And so later that same night, after, after Jesus had had this sort of argument with Peter about washing his feet, later that same night, Jesus predicts something else, that all of his core disciples would abandon him and disown him. He, he predicts a, a very humbling experience, but notice how Peter responds to this prediction. This is Matthew 26, 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus answered, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter boldly predicts that with self-confidence that he, he's not going to disown Jesus. He has self-confidence. He has this sense of courage. That's the way he sees himself. But Jesus can see something else. He can see the inherent weakness of his perceived strengths. And he predicts that he's going to disown him. Well, sure enough, Jesus is arrested. And he's taken to trial. And the, the, the building, the compound where Jesus was put on trial had a large courtyard. And Peter got into the courtyard wanting to see what was going to happen. And there, two different young girls recognized him and on different occasions called him out and said, you were with Jesus. You're one of his followers. And both times, Peter denied uh, their claims. And then a third person saw him, a, a young man. And this man also said, look, we know you were with Jesus. And notice how Peter responds to this third person who identifies him as being a follower of Jesus. Peter uh, then began to call down curses and swore to them. I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Then he went outside and wept bitterly. When that rooster crows, for the first time in his life, Peter recognizes his pride. And he begins to recognize the inherent weakness of his perceived strengths. And in that moment when the rooster crows, Peter experiences a breaking. He's humbled. He's crushed. I, I think he's probably a little bit embarrassed. But I think it's at that point where he ultimately becomes useful to Jesus' movement and to God's kingdom. 
And what I want us to remember about this breaking is how Peter responded to it. Because I think that's the key. When, how did he respond to his failure, even in his own eyes? You see, Peter could have run. He could have just run. He could have become disappointed and depressed about himself. He could have even become disillusioned with God. But he didn't run. He chose to stay in Jerusalem with the other followers of Jesus. And then, after Jesus was crucified, after he was buried, but he got word that that two women went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. Peter stood up and ran to the tomb and he became one of the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. And then when he was gathered with the the followers of Jesus in in a large uh, gathering home where the doors were locked and Jesus appeared in the room, Peter saw Jesus and he became one of the first people to touch the risen body of Jesus. And in that moment, because he didn't run, because he stayed, because he leaned into the pain of what he was feeling and the bitterness he felt over his own failure, because he leaned into that. In that moment, when he saw Jesus and touched him, he got clear about who Jesus really is and what his movement is really about. And then he got clear about God's calling in his own life and God's purposes for him. And as Peter leaned into the pain and he embraced who he really was, he did rise above his pride. He rose above it. He became the rock that Jesus had always seen in him. And the the movement that Peter took over, it's still going to this day. But the key, and this is what I want us to get today, the key was how Peter responded to that humbling, breaking experience. Because how you respond to bitter failure, to a humbling experience, can either make you strong and humble, or it can make you bitter, weak, angry, and even depressed, and maybe even live in self-deception. The key is how you respond to a breaking and humbling experience. And sometimes God uses failure to humble us and to break us. And I remember probably one of the most humbling experiences I've ever encountered in my life occurred after I got my second master's degree uh, in theology. And after I got my second master's degree, I started looking for a pastoral position. I felt confident that churches were just going to be lining up to hire me. I was going to have to pick from all of the churches offering me opportunities. That's really what I thought. And I started looking for uh, pastoral opportunities and Three months turned into six months. By that time, uh, we had had our first son. Barbara gave birth to our son, Sean, and uh, was very excited about that, but I still didn't have a job as, as six months then turned into nine months, and Barbara's maternity leave was up. Well, she had to go back to work, and I had to quit my job because she made more money than I did. It, just, it was a practical thing. And so I was staying at home with two master's degrees in my field, watching my son, and and I do cherish those years. But honestly, during those days, I felt like an utter failure. I felt broken. I didn't totally understand it. And I remember one afternoon, my son was taking his nap, and I got on my knees, literally, and I just started crying out to God. I said, God, what is going on? I I don't even understand. What is wrong? 
And when I prayed that prayer, something happened. And I began to see scenes in my mind, like the scenes we saw from Peter's life. And they were scenes where I spoke arrogant, prideful words. They were scenes where I I expressed self-confidence and where my self-confidence blinded me to what I should have seen. And that's some of my limitations and my weaknesses. I also saw scenes that reminded me of how self-absorbed I had been. And as I saw those scenes, I saw the sugar foot in me. And it hurt. But it, it broke me. And in my brokenness, I got the inner sense to rise above my pride. And I don't want you to think that I've never struggled with pride again. That's not true. In fact, I have struggled with it before. But from that day forward, I knew pride was in me. I knew I had struggles with pride. I knew what kinds of struggles with pride I had. And so from that point forward, I recognized it more quickly. And I got clarity about what to do about it. When you go through humbling, breaking experiences, how you respond can either make you stronger and give you inner strength or it can sap your strength. And I'm urging you to lean into the pain. When you go through a a breaking experience, a humbling experience, lean into the pain. Don't run from it and don't try to numb it. And we lean into the pain when we get honest and real about the various facets of pride that we see in us. We lean into the pain when we get real about the way our pride has hurt our marriage or hurt our family or our other relationships. But when we lean into the pain, a part of that allows us to see ourselves the way we really are. The good parts and the the, the weaker parts, and that's okay. When we lean into the pain, we see God in a clearer way, the way God truly is. And when we lean into the pain, we get a greater sense of clarity about God's purposes for our own lives. And when we get to that point, a point of humility, where we understand who we are and who we are not, and we understand that we are truly valued in God's eyes, that he has a purpose for our lives and we can live it. That gives us the inner strength to rise above the core issue of pride. And that's my prayer for you today. Because never broken, never useful. Let's pray together. And maybe you're going through a season of brokenness right now. I encourage you to lean into the pain. Let this painful season make you a better person. Let this painful season break the sugar foot that is in you. And be willing to see yourself the way you really are. Be willing to embrace the way God sees you and God's purposes for your life. And so this is what I want you to do. Like, like imagine you're holding on to the reins. Let go of the reins. Let them go. Let go of your strengths. Let go of your limitations. Let go of your insecurities. Let go of your dreams. Even let go of the relationships you're trying to control. And let go of your purposes. And let God lead you. Let him stir within you an inner strength about his love for you, the value he sees in you. So you gain the inner strength 
to rise above your pride. That is my prayer for you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.